MSW Media. We'd like to thank our new sponsor, Microdose, for supporting the Daily Beans. Uh, to learn more about microdosing THC, go to microdose.com and use code DAILYBEANS to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Wednesday, November 8th, 2023. Today, voters took to the polls in Virginia, Ohio, Kentucky, Mississippi, Pennsylvania, Rhode Island and Texas. Jack Smith says in a filing that it doesn't matter whether Trump believed he lost the 2020 election. A group of conservative lawyers has launched the Society for Rule of Law to counter the MAGA movement. Ivanka Trump will take the stand today in the New York Attorney General's $250 million civil fraud trial. The Biden administration is joining the trans plaintiffs in Tennessee and Kentucky, urging the Supreme Court to overturn the Sixth Circuit's ban on transgender care. Hunter Biden's special counsel David Weiss testified behind closed doors in Congress. And President Biden gets Netanyahu to be open to humanitarian pauses in Gaza. I'm Allison Gill. And I'm Dana Goldberg. Happy Wednesday, my friend. And to you as well. Um, by the time we're recording this, obviously, we don't know necessarily what has happened in some of the elections, but I know you're going to get to that. Yeah, well, I've just, you know, we're, we're, we record... Um, this is it's Tuesday evening. The polls are just closing, except in some of the precincts in one of the counties in Mississippi where they ran out of ballots. Wow. Dana, they ran out of ballots, um, which is testament to how many people are voting. But also these are predominantly black precincts. So, yeah, not surprising. Got to kind of wonder uh, why they don't have enough ballots for everybody. I mean, we had a census pretty recently. Um, so the lines are especially long on college campuses uh, right now, especially in Virginia, where tons of people uh, registered to vote the same day, you know, to on Tuesday, because you can do that in Virginia, same day voter registration. But yeah, in Mississippi, they put in an emergency um, request to the courts to extend voting hours and the courts approved that. So those polls are going to close a little bit later. Also, just a couple quick hits today. Jack Smith has filed his response to Trump's motions to dismiss his coup indictment on constitutional grounds. And he's urging the court to make those decisions quickly because constitutional considerations are able to be interlocutory appeals, which means they have to be decided before trial. And that threatens to delay the March 4th trial date, especially if it goes up to SCOTUS and SCOTUS wants to hear it and they hear arguments and then we don't get a, you know, we don't get a decision until 2025 or something. Um, so he's he's urging the court to take up those those constitutional questions like I have absolute immunity, presidential immunity forever <laughs> because I'm a king and his uh, his double jeopardy thing saying that because the but he's saying it backwards. He's saying because the Senate didn't convict him, he can't be brought up on criminal charges. He's just it's dumb, uh, but they have to be considered. Right. He's got a right to make these these appeals and, and these motions. So we'll see what happens there. We'll talk about it on uh, the Jack podcast this weekend. And Andy and I have been saying for a long time that it doesn't matter whether Trump believed he won the election in this case. And that became very obvious in this DOJ filing. We've used the example of OJ quite a bit, uh, Dana, where, you know, OJ was the reason he actually went to jail is because he he, he tried to steal some of his memorabilia back from a guy in oh, Las Vegas. Oh, yeah, I remember. 
Yeah. And the I mean, the the law is like, OK, it it was my stuff. Yeah. But that doesn't give you the, the right to break a law, freedom another law, go steal it. Exactly. So even if he thought the election was his, he doesn't have a right to lie to steal it or obstruct the official proceeding or be in be help with the fraudulent elector scheme or lie to the vice president. It's a very good filing. We'll talk about that on Jack. And Ivanka's taken a stand today in the New York Attorney General civil fraud trial. Uh, that will be the end of the prosecution's case. They will rest their case. We'll see what kind of a case the defense wants to put on. They say they want to call like a million witnesses and, you know, probably just to try to drag it out as long as they can. Um, but we'll see what ends up happening, how many witnesses they actually do end up calling. But I'm interested to see what Ivanka says. We'll cover it tomorrow. Uh, but she's going to testify Wednesday, which is today, I believe. Yeah, November 8th. Yep. Okay. Time, <laughs> Time travel. is an enigma. It yes. is an enigma when we're recording. No one knows. Yes. And with the clocks being set back, you know, I'm just... I'm all I'm like, well, I don't even know what hour it is on what day it is. Oh, my God. I know I'm sleepy at 530 and I'm up at like five o'clock in the morning. Like, I've got things to do. I know. Last night we went out for, like for a, a friend's birthday. We get back and it's, I feel like it's midnight and it's like 740 or something. <laughs> like, well, it's time for bed. But anyway, uh, I like earlier, like lighter light in the early and dark at, in Me the afternoon. Too. I like standard time, but I can see why some people wouldn't like that. But I think we should just pick one and stick with it, whether it's daylight saving or, or standard. But, you know, maybe maybe they'll do that in the spring or get it passed. Uh, I think it would help. I think it would help in the 2024 elections. All right. We have a lot of news to get to. So let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. First up. From the Washington Post, David Weiss, that's a federal prosecutor tapped by Bill Barr and Donald Trump to serve, uh, you know, to investigate Hunter Biden and was tapped by A.G. Merrick Garland to be special counsel investigating Hunter Biden. He testified Tuesday behind closed doors to a House committee telling lawmakers that he's had full authority over the case and has never been overruled at any point by other Justice Department officials. Uh, and the reason that uh, the Republicans want this behind closed doors is because they want to be able to take tiny bits of what he says and put it out there. Uh, like, for example, if he wants to bring charges, uh, tax charges, you do have to get the Treasury Tax Department to sign off on that. Everybody does if you want to bring a tax charge. And so then they're saying, see, he didn't have full authority. You know, I mean, it's just it's the dumbest uh, bullshit. But he testified very clearly that he has always had the authority and he was never overruled at any point. It's highly unusual for the Justice Department to make a special counsel available for questioning by Congress before an investigation is complete. Weiss did so in large part to address lingering concerns raised by two IRS agents on the Biden case who earlier this year accused Weiss and other Justice Department officials of slow walking their work. One of the agents said Weiss told him he wasn't the decision maker on the case. <laughs> Weiss, the U.S. attorney in Delaware, uh, has disputed that claim and did so again in his opening statement to the House Judiciary Committee. I am and have been the decision maker on the case. That's what he told the panel, according to a written copy of his opening remarks. I do not, however, make the decisions in a vacuum. I am bound by federal law, the principles of federal prosecution and DOJ guidelines. As a result, there are processes that I must adhere to in making investigative charging decisions these processes did not interfere with my decision-making authority. At no time was I blocked or otherwise prevented from pursuing charges or taking the steps necessary in the investigation by other U.S. attorneys, the tax division, or anyone else in the Department of Justice. 
Now, citing the IRS agents accounts, Republican lawmakers have accused the Justice Department under Biden of stalling the politically sensitive investigation, which is being conducted by Weiss, who was appointed by Barr and Trump. So like, fuck, whatever. On Tuesday, GOP committee members said they found Weiss's account unconvincing including his explanation of a proposed plea deal for Hunter Biden that ended up falling apart under questioning from a federal judge. Quote, the important thing is that he has no answers for why he would offer a misdemeanor plea bargain with no jail time to someone who committed felonies and exclude all unknown or yet to be investigated crimes. That's what Daryl Issa over here in California said. Uh, It's that lack of explanation that leads us to all the other questions of whether he was influenced by others or in consultation with others. So he can't answer certain questions about the ongoing investigation. Right. Right. And so the Republicans are like, that means we can't trust anything that he says. (laughs) Come on. The top Democrat on the panel, Jerry Nadler, said Weiss was a strong witness, but called the session with him a waste of time. No transcript of the session was released Tuesday because Republicans don't want you to know what he said. Nadler said Weiss was very clear that no one told him what to prosecute and what not to prosecute. He made all those decisions himself. And he said that before, like twice in two letters, by the way. And I mean, Republicans tried to get him to say anything, but they just go over and over and over the same thing. Uh, In his written testimony, Weiss warned the committee that there were many questions about the Hunter Biden case he would not answer, even behind closed doors, because the investigation and prosecution are ongoing. He promised to share more information when the case is finished. Weiss said there had been, quote, misunderstandings about the scope of my authority to decide where, when and whether to bring cases and charges in this matter. He also said his team of prosecutors have made decisions based on the facts and the law. Political considerations played no part in our decision making. Our analysis has been moored to the principles of federal prosecution. And going forward, my team and I will continue to abide by the same principles as we try to bring this matter to a just conclusion. Attorney General Merrick Garland has long insisted that Weiss, again, like I said, a holdover from the Trump administration, who launched the Hunter Biden probe in 2018, is fully authorized to oversee the investigation and make charging decisions. Both he and Weiss have disputed any claim otherwise by these whistleblowers. Weiss filed false statement and illegal gun possession charges against Hunter Biden in Delaware this summer after the plea agreement collapsed, setting the stage for a possible trial next year. The alleged felonies relate to a revolver Biden bought known for 11 days in 2018, when by his own telling he was addicted to and abusing drugs. Shortly before that indictment, Weiss sought and was granted special counsel authority by the Justice Department, which, among other things, makes it easier to bring charges in other jurisdictions. He's considered bringing tax charges against Hunter Biden as well. Justice Department regulations require special counsels to file a report detailing their findings and decisions at the end of their work, including declination decisions. The last two such reports by special counsel Bob Mueller and John Durham were released publicly, albeit with some redactions. Thank you, A.G. All right. The story is from Chris Geidner at Law Dork, who we love. Now the Biden administration on Monday, they urged the U.S. Supreme Court to take up cases over transgender health care bans, arguing that Tennessee's ban on gender affirming medical care for minors, that it violates the Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution. A great argument. The Justice Department filed in that specific case because earlier this year had intervened in the case. And this is a quote. The question whether the recent wave of bans on gender-affirming care are consistent with the Equal Protection Clause is a question of national importance that urgently requires a definitive resolution. This is the Justice Department's lawyers. They argued in a certiorari petition filed Monday. It went on to say, absent this court's review, families in Tennessee and other states where laws like SB1 have taken effect will face the loss of essential medical care. 
Well, the filing is the third such request to reach the Supreme Court in the past week, following on-cert petitions filed by transgender plaintiffs and their families in Tennessee and then Kentucky, urging the justices to hear the cases over their states' respective bans. Well, the Monday filing by the Justice Department asked the Supreme Court to resolve the question of whether the ban in Tennessee violates equal protection, arguing that it does so on the basis of being a sex-based classification and because the law, and I quote, discriminates against transgender individuals. Well, for both those reasons, DOJ argued the law should be subject to heightened scrutiny, and the brief continued, it cannot pass that more stringent test. Well, the Biden administration's brief argued that the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Sixth Circuit, they got it wrong by holding the Tennessee and Kentucky bans to be likely constitutional in September. Well, the DOJ wrote, the Sixth Circuit did not suggest that laws like SB1 could survive heightened scrutiny. Instead, it applied only the deferential rational basis standard because it held that some laws that draw sex-based lines do not trigger heightened scrutiny and that laws discriminating based on transgender status never warrant Titan's review. Those holdings are wrong, and they create or deepen circuit conflicts on the proper application of the Equal Protection Clause to laws targeting transgender individuals, both in specific context of bans on gender-affirming care and, more broadly, well, the ACLU's Chase Strangio, who is phenomenal counsel of record for the challengers in Tennessee case, He told Law Dork this past week that going to the Supreme Court, even as conservative as it is, is a necessary step because the Sixth Circuit decision and the opinion of the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Eleventh Circuit upholding Alabama's similar ban as likely constitutional are, and I quote, an untenable set of opinions to leave in place. In their conclusion on Monday, the Justice Department lawyers agreed that delay is no option. This is a quote, delay would prolong the harm suffered by adolescents in the 6th and 11th circuits who are being or will soon be denied critical medical care. And delay would prolong the uncertainty for minors and their families across the country who do not yet know whether the bans in their states will be upheld or enjoined. This is from the brief, and it continued with, this court's intervention is warranted now. With Monday's filing, then three parties, including the U.S. government, They are urging the Supreme Court to resolve this issue in in a very fast way and to do so in a way that will provide constitutional protections for transgender people. I love that the Biden administration is getting behind this. It is important and it will save lives. They need to do this quickly. Yeah, they filed their notice that they were going to intervene and they have intervened uh, on behalf of transgender youth in these circuits. Excellent. Next up from Axios, President Biden urged Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu and their call on Monday to agree to a three day pause in the fighting to allow progress in releasing some of the hostages held by Hamas in Gaza. That's according to two U.S. and Israeli officials. According to a proposal that's being discussed between the U.S., Israel and Qatar, Hamas would release 10 to 15 hostages and use that three day pause to verify the identities of all the hostages and deliver a list of names of the people it is holding. That's according to the U.S. official. The two U.S. and Israeli officials said Netanyahu told Biden he doesn't trust Hamas's intentions and doesn't believe they are ready to agree to a deal regarding the hostages. He also said that Israel could lose the current international support it has for the operation. Does it? Uh, if the fighting stops for three days. That's what officials said. That is um, that's uh, Israel's point of view there. The Israeli official told Axios that part of Netanyahu's reservation is because Hamas attacked a group of Israeli soldiers, kidnapped one of them, and killed several others during a humanitarian pause in the 2014 war. Uh, 
Now, the Israeli prime minister's office declined to comment. The White House referred to Axios to the readout of Tuesday's call between Biden and Netanyahu, which said the two leaders discussed ongoing efforts to secure the release of hostages held by Hamas. The White House added that it does not comment on Biden's private conversations. A senior U.S. official told reporters on Friday the indirect and complicated nature of the hostage negotiations has made it very difficult to make progress in the talks. The Biden administration has been primarily working on the issue through the government of Qatar, where some Hamas leaders are based. CIA director Bill Burns is in the Middle East this week, and part of his focus is the hostages' release. He had talks in Israel and will meet uh, Qatari officials later this week. Now, after his meeting with Secretary of State Tony Blinken in Tel Aviv on Friday, Netanyahu rejected, flatly outright rejected the U.S. request for humanitarian pauses and said Israel would only agree to a temporary ceasefire if hostages are released first. An Israeli official said Netanyahu sees a three-day pause in the fighting as a ceasefire and doesn't believe a large window of time is needed to release such a small number of hostages. Netanyahu has appeared more open to shorter pauses, humanitarian pauses, quote, as far as tactical little pauses, an hour here or an hour there. We've had them before. I suppose we'll check the circumstances in order to enable goods, humanitarian goods to come in or our hostages, individual hostages, to leave. That's what he told ABC News in an interview that aired several hours after his call with President Biden. So Biden's been pushing for humanitarian pauses for the civilians uh, in Palestine, which are being used as human shields by Hamas. Um, Netanyahu was totally against it, but now he appears to be open to brief humanitarian pauses for hostage um, release and for to get humanitarian aid in. So um, good job on the on the White House for being able to to at least get that. Yeah, absolutely. Some headway there for sure. All right. This is from The Independent, a group of preeminent conservative lawyers who oppose former President Donald Trump's efforts to manipulate the legal system. Well, they're launching a new long-term project aimed at fostering respect for the U.S. Constitution and the rule of law <laughs> in the legal profession. <laughs> the group, which initially began operating in 2018 under the name Checks and Balances, includes preeminent conservative legal figures such as J. Michael Ludig, uh, the former Fourth Circuit judge who was shortlisted as a Supreme Court pick during the George W. Bush administration, and George Conway, who was former President Donald Trump's pick to run the Justice Department Civil Division before he became a prominent critic of the ex-president and a hilarious guy on Twitter. Now, unlike other groups formed by anti-Trump conservatives during Mr. Trump's presidency, the Checks and Balances group has been a bit of a shoestring operation, until now operating with a small budget raised from its members. But a source familiar with the group's plans told The Independent, that a decision was made by the group's board to seek out funding for the purposes of a major relaunch and rebranding operation as the, and I quote, Society for the Rule of Law, which has now acquired the proper licenses to operate as a 501c3 nonprofit with an affiliated 501c4 social welfare uh, organization that can undertake some political work. Well, the society's rollout will include a, and I quote, rule of law summit taking place on Wednesday evening in Washington. This new funding stream for the group includes a major donation from the Defending Democracy Together Institute, the anti-Trump Republican group founded by former Weekly Standards journalists and ex-Reagan administration officials such as William Crystal and uh, Mona Karen. Now, in a statement to The Independent, Defending Democracy Together Executive Director Sarah Longwell said the timing for the new effort couldn't be better, citing the continued threats to the American system of government posed by Donald. 
who has openly mused about using a second term in the White House to eviscerate post-Watergate reforms, which put layers of separation between the Justice Department and the White House. In recent weeks, both the New York Times and Washington Post have reported on plans by Donald and his allies to use the machinery of government to punish real and perceived enemies and critics of ex-president should he win a second term in office. I mean, this is fucking fascist shit. So, mm-hmm. I mean, listen, if they're going to fight that, let's do this. And this is a quote from the story. Every day we see new evidence of the active threat posed to the rule of law by corrupt actors putting par- a partisanship over principle. We need leaders who model principled behavior for the next generation, who push back vocally against the big lie, and who create a permission structure for people to follow the law, not knuckle under to political pressure. That's from Miss Longwell. And said, there's no one better positioned to fill that void than the Society for the Rule of Law. And there's no time that's more urgent for us to tackle these problems than now. Well, according to people involved in plans for the revamped group, it would not be explicitly anti-Trump group. Instead, it would be built around bringing together people in the legal profession who want to center constitutional principles, including limited government, separation of powers, checks and balances, and the independence of the justice system from political influence. You know, the way our fucking government should work. Now, one source close to the effort told The Independent that the society's rollout will involve outreach to law students across the U.S., with the aim of building chapters and instating a a culture of respect for the Constitution in the next generation of the legal profession. Now, Judge Ludig, uh, who has become a prominent critic of Donald's, uh, his actions specifically, in the wake of the 2020 elections lost to Joe Biden, and was a key advisor to then-Vice President Mike Pence as he resisted the then-President's efforts to bully him into unlawfully refusing to certify electoral votes, from the swing states won by Biden, told The Independent in an interview that the new group's efforts have been made necessary by the failure of existing right-leaning legal groups to speak out against ex-president's disrespect for the Constitution. That would be a lot of speaking out. (laughs) This includes the Federalist Society, which for decades has formed the backbone of conservative legal movement that has reshaped the court system and influenced generations of conservatives in how to approach the study and practice of law. And to end the story, the quote, over the past several years, the members of the group and I have felt that other legal groups and societies have declined to stand up for the rule of law and against the legal excesses of the former president and his administration. And we believe that in this moment in American history, lawyers must stand up for the rule of law and defend the Constitution and American democracy and the rule of law. And they must do so without regard to political party affiliation or ideological. So we'll see. I mean, it all sounds great in theory, but I want to see some shit happen. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. It sounds yeah. like a like it's like a federalist society, but without the dick bags, you know, yeah. I, don't, I don't know without. The, I don't know. I don't know. We'll see what they do, because, you know, there's a lot that I don't agree with, uh, you know, Judge Ludig and George Conway on with regard to, you know, that whole limited government. Uh, yeah. You know, uh, labor, you know, more toward the management than the unions type stuff. I mean, you know, they're always kind of happy with those particular rulings or or how they feel about Citizens United. It'll be, it'll be interesting to see um, what they come up with. All right. We have to take a quick break and then we'll be back with the good news. If you have good news to send us, you can do it at dailybeanspod.com and click on contact. Stick around. We'll be right back. After these messages, we'll be right back. 
Hey, everybody, I want to talk about microdose gummies. This is a science meets wellness approach to better health and finding that sweet spot of focus and relaxation where you are at your best. It's that moment of peace where you can actually slip into the zone. Microdosing makes it easier to get there and it helps you stay there much longer. Now, Microdose sent me gummies so I could learn more about getting in the zone. You can try it, too. Go to microdose.com and use code DAILYBEANS to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. I had my doubts at first, but Microdose gummies have been a real benefit to my life. I've always been cautious with supplements uh, or using THC, uh, but their blend of ingredients is just enough to help me without any negative side effects. A half gummy eases me into like chill mode. It cuts through the day's tension without any mental fog. It's fantastic. So come bedtime, one gummy. I'm off to dreamland, undisturbed until morning. I love it. It sweeps away the worries and it loosens up the tightness in my shoulders. I unclench my jaw. Uh, They help me see the world in more vibrant colors, not just shades of gray. It's like flipping on a switch um, and for like awesomeness and flips off that constant inner chatter leaving me in a very serene state. I love it. Alert, but at peace. I can't recommend it enough. There's no reason to wait. Try these gummies today. To learn more about microdosing THC, go to microdose.com and use code DAILYBEANS to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Again, that's microdose.com, code DAILYBEANS. Microdose.com, code DAILYBEANS for 30% off. Everybody, welcome back. It's time for the good news. Good news, good news. And if you have any good news, confessions, corrections, if you want to play what the animal, I mean, just whatever animal Re- <laughs> you really want to send to us. <laughs> want to play what the fuck? <laughs> we'll come up with a name for it. We have we have opine on the bovine, what the heck wine, what the hell is in that shell, or just what the shell, uh, what the mutt. Uh, cat me if you can. I mean, we've got all kinds. So, so send them to us. A shout out to yourself, a shout out to a loved one, your partner, a small business in your area that could use some support, your small business. What are you making? What are you creating? What's your deal? I want to hear about it. What's your thesis title or your dissertation title? Those are fun. If you have a whoopee story or a blankie story or a stuffed animal story, uh, I want to know about that too. Dana wants baby pictures. I need frog orgy photos. Anything you want to send us at all, you can send it to dailybeanspod.com and click uncontact. First up, from Alyssa, pronouns she and her. Good news in two parts. One, I voted today in my tiny red hamlet tucked away in a blue state. I don't have a ton of faith in local elections, but our school budget recently passed with 83%. So we've got that going for us. In crafty news, my little Etsy shop, Knit with the Wind, recently sent 12 knit Santa hats to France. France! How cool is that? Since receiving the second order, I've been completely insufferable telling everyone I'm totally trending in France. (laughs) (laughs) My shop is a one-woman show, so every order causes a happy dance. Okay, knit with the wind. These are very cool. Oh my goodness, these are very cool. I like the gray in there. Like there's a little bit of gray on the white band beautiful beautiful hats and that little leather snap thing very cute knit with the wind thank you all right this next one's from anonymous but they think they speak for a lot of you no pronouns given ready for this i'm going to read it as a complaint dearest ag and dj on today's good news segment someone mentioned becoming a daily listener and being disappointed on weekends 
And that resonated with me all too well. So I have kindly and respectfully called you out. The show is called The Daily Beans News with Swearing, not The Weekday Beans. And I guess fuck off until Monday night, extra late if you're on the East Coast News with Swearing. So give the people what they want. Weekend beans. Maybe it's exclusively good news and you can call it cool beans. Or if you need a well-deserved time off, repost old episodes and call them refried beans. (laughs) Anyway, I don't care. In the meantime, and until my demands are met, you must use this modified logo. (laughs) I use Comic Sans to make it extra irritating. Much love and appreciation. (laughs) The weekend beans, and I guess fuck off until Monday night, extra late if you're on the East Coast. News with swearing. Okay. Patrons get it Sunday night, Monday morning. (laughs) It comes out first thing Monday morning. Um, We do have an unscripted, unedited, completely raw weekend wrap-up that comes out on Saturdays of the beans. But I like just releasing reruns on the weekend called refried beans oh my god i think it's brilliant why the fuck not i'm gonna do that i'm gonna do that so that i can have my old logo back i love it (laughs) but you should be getting your beans monday at two in the morning pacific time so but i i feel you i understand all right just one leguminata pronoun she and her just a quick (laughs) note to oh my god i know i can't Uh, Oh, oh, the photo. Okay. Just a quick note to let you know that while I love the back and forth between you and Dana and miss her when she's not able to record, I'm loving these interviews. It's a great addition. It brings more originality to the podcast. I hope you continue to add interviews whenever you can. To keep Dana interested, I've included my grandbaby Halloween picks, Woody and Llama. I think I most assume that this person thought I lost interest after five sentences because she, because she likes the interviews. First of all, Leguminata. I think you're brilliant. Thank you for the compliment. I don't, I miss being here. I miss being here. I, I miss the pod when I'm not here either, but I love that you're like, and to keep Dana interested, because I think she's lost interest. Here's some babies. <laughs> oh, and they're the cutest babies. I know. Llama and Woody. Look at Woody. Oh my God. They're really the cutest. Look at that face. Hello. Beautiful. Oh my gosh. I love it. Or is this me? It is me. All mm-hmm. right. This is from Daniel Duncan, who we know and love. Pronounce he and him. We know him, by the way. He's a once in future candidate. You know who Daniel Duncan is. Howdy, Beans crew. I hope this finds you well. I wanted to shout out my friend Bill Kimler, who was by my side throughout my run for state house last year. He's continuing the fight while I'm sidelined with the family medical issues. Daniel, I hope everything's okay. He started a podcast with a wonderful vice chair of his county party. Dr. Jamil Brooks and Bill, they host Black, White, and Blue in the South, discussing South Carolina politics every Wednesday. And they're both running for state house this year in districts 12 and 13. Their podcast is Black, White, and Blue in the South. So if you're local to South Carolina, just give them a listen, give them some support. Awesome. And we'll have a link to that in the show notes. Thank you, Daniel. Good to hear from you, my friend. Indeed. Next up, D, pronouns they and them. I love how MSW has become such a force for democracy since the kitchen days. This isn't good news. It's just something that's been bothering me. All the pundits keep talking about Biden's age being a factor in his reelection without stating the obvious. People are irrationally scared of Kamala becoming president if something happened to Biden. There is racism and misogyny, I might add, uh, hidden in the concern of Biden's age. I have yet to hear this being discussed anywhere. Keep up the excellent work. We need your take on what's happening in our world. 
Here are my three adopted diva Persian cats, and they are as wild as they look. Such a good point, Dee. Thank you. For I think bringing... this is a fantastic point, and I think there's a lot of truth to this. Mm-hmm. Yep. Racism and misogyny subsumed in the concern of for Biden's age. Definitely. Yeah. Look at these baby kittens. Oh, my God. The little blip. <laughs> I love this breed because they just look mad all the time. <laughs> the Wilford Brimley mustache. We'd like to talk to the manager. Diabetes. Yeah, very adorable. <laughs> all right. This is from Steph Pronoun, she and her. Sometime back, my brother's wife sent a group text to our extended family to let us know that their younger child is trans and to share his new pronouns and new name. Now, we are a close and conflict-averse family, but we live in states across the country, and we are politically and religiously diverse. My parents, grandparents of my nephew, who are in their 80s, are conservative Christians and Fox viewers. And yet everyone was uniformly positive and loving in their replies, which was a relief to see. The best part, though, came after my nephew had his top surgery last month. When my sister-in-law sent us an update that all went well, my mother texted back, thank you, Jesus. Mm. That just tickled me. Good to be reminded that our hearts are bigger than our divisions. What a great sentence. For pet tax, here are my two dogs, Suki and Eva. Uh, They're immigrants. (laughs) Suki on the left came from Thailand and Eva came from Kosovo. They were both born on the street, rescued by local residents and taken to local dog shelters, and then amazingly flown to the United States by kind volunteers who agreed to take them as luggage. We didn't know about either dog until they arrived here as one-year-olds looking for forever homes. Online posts helped us track them down their histories and even their puppy pictures. Now they are best friends and feel like the luckiest human to have them in my home. P.S. I have no idea of their breeds. That's up to you. Oh, that's up to you. I like that. I know. This oh. looks like like some sort of a... And only because of the tail. Like there's a pug in there somewhere. Or a Kita, maybe. Yeah. That would make more sense based on the way that dog looks. <laughs> <laughs> this and, other and one. The, the ability to breathe. This uh, other one's yeah. got a heart on his forehead and kind of has like beagle vibes. I'm going to need you to enunciate those words a little better next time you say them together. <laughs> oh, heart on his head? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> heart on his head. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. He's got a heart on his forehead. I'm sorry. <laughs> he's got a huh? He's a what? He's got a, what kind of dog is that? Oh, yeah. He's a beautiful baby. They're Look beautiful. It. That's so cool. From across the world. I do love that. It's beautiful. What a great episode. Good news submissions today. Thank you. Yes. Wonderful. And I got the great new idea from Anonymous, but who thinks he speaks for many oh my folks. my God. Refried beans. Of refried beans on the weekends. So ba, good. Ba, ba. Why not? Now I just have to, now, now I'll have to be very choosy about which episodes they are. Well, you know which one we're going to air first. Megaplastics. We, well, we got to do charismatic megaplastics. You know what we might just do? Because that's coming up. That's a January 5th episode. Oh, right. What if we just released an episode from that week from a year ago? That'd be good. Or two years ago. So people can see how far we've come or whatever. I don't know. I'll, I'll figure it out. But I like it. Did you hear that? We'll replace megaplastics so people can see how far we've come. Okay, keep ah! on moving. <laughs> Listen, everyone, I got double vaxxed today, and I think it's turned me into a 16-year-old boy. Everything's fine. <laughs> <think> so, too. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you for your good news submission. Send it to us at uh, dailybeanspod.com. Click on contact. Thanks, everybody, who voted uh, today in Tuesday's elections and in the early voting uh, rounds. We appreciate you for doing that, doing your civic duty. Um, I, I'd be interested to know like what percentage of... of 
Illuminati votes. It's got to be close to 100%. So thank you. I would hope so. Yeah. All right. Any final thoughts before we get out of here today, my friend? I don't think I should. I don't think I should. <laughs> not not. I don't have any thoughts. No, nope, I don't think, I I don't think it's a good idea. I don't think it's a good idea. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll my be back thoughts today were brought to you by Moderna. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we'll be back in your ears tomorrow. Until then, everybody, please take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Take care of the planet. Take care of your mental health. Take care of your family. Vote blue over Q. And thanks for taking everyone with you. I've been AG. And I've been DG. And them's the beans. The Daily Beans is written and executive produced by Allison Gill with additional research and reporting by Dana Goldberg. Sound design and editing is by Desiree McFarlane with art and web design by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. Music for The Daily Beans is written and performed by They Might Be Giants. And the show is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. For more information, please visit mswmedia.com. MSW Media. Hi, this is John Cryer, and I am hosting a new seven-part true crime podcast called Lawyers, Guns, and Money that'll challenge everything you think you know about U.S. covert operations and presidential misconduct. From Jack Bryan, the director of American PSYOP, comes the incredible true story of John Mattis, a newly sworn-in Miami public defender in the 1980s who has found himself completely in over his head. I step off the plane, and there is a van with a couple guys with Uzis. And one of them in broken English said, welcome to Bogota, John. Mattis's first felony defendant has been arrested for having a machine gun and tells Mattis a dangerous secret. He was shipping arms into Central America on behalf of the CIA. As a first-time lawyer, I want to act like I know what I'm doing. But with the help of a Colombian drug smuggler, how much money the CIA raised by hitting up drug dealers? A lot of money, millions of dollars. An Alabama mercenary. They were prepared to die to the last man. I saw this in them. I saw the fire in their eyes. And they made me their war chief. And a newly elected senator, John Kerry. We are looking at allegations of drug running, gun smuggling, conspiracy to commit murder and murder itself. He'll fight to free his client. The judge said, Show me, in a courtroom, how we were at war. Expose an illegal war being run by the White House. I mean, I wanted him involved, but I didn't want to be on record as doing it. And somehow stay alive in the process. I just escaped a kidnapping by the CIA in Costa Rica. This is Lawyers, Guns, and Money. So you have a man in Armani suit standing in the bow of a boat with a rocket launcher and says, if I lose sight of you, I will launch. You will be vaporized. Available everywhere starting October 29th, or get it ad-free and early starting October 22nd at lawyersgunsandmoney.supercast.com. There you'll find bonus episodes along with exclusive content. Subscribe now.